Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Morning, church. It's uh, again <clears throat> a real privilege, a treat for me to be back here. I was here a few weeks ago uh, to um, witness the beginning of the new format that you have with two services. I was here for the first service and uh, to see first and second service, I have to say something is happening here. God is doing something profound here, and blessed be his name. Now, for uh, my uh, message today, I have to confess that uh, it's one of the most personal messages that I can bring to you, because it's part of my own journey. Now, you have to understand that I grew up surrounded by giants in the faith, heroes of faith, people who have been committed and who always soar higher and higher, reaching forever greater heights. And here I am, 40, over 40 years of walk with Christ. I have to drag myself sometimes. I have to say, oh Lord, I need you. Please come help me. On my own, I cannot. And many times I have to throw myself literally to the ground and kneel down and, and say, oh Lord, I, I, I heard the song we sang, you know, I hit the ground when my knees hit or something. It's not always my experience. Sometimes I hit the ground. I, I don't hit the heavens. I don't, I don't reach the heavens. And I'm yelling. I'm screaming. I'm a, please, Lord, come. So it has been so laborious, hard, forced walk. And then I began to look at... Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that whole chapter with the heroes of faith. And lo and behold, I find out that some of them who were called heroes struggled like they did. As a matter of fact, there's a whole section. Many of them, Scripture says, they never received what was promised to them. And yet they persevered, and they counted as heroes. So I began to take one at a time and study their lives. 
and I began to study the life of Abraham. And the story of Abraham is a story of an ordinary man who was, Scripture says, worshiper of other, do- other gods. That's a nice way of saying worshiper of idols. A slave owner who fathered a child with his wife's maid, who lied twice, saying that his wife was his sister in order to save his skin, and was even ready to kill his own son to please God, and so on and on. And yet, his was a journey of faith. And it stands out as a journey of faith because Abraham chose to turn his story into God's story. Or rather, God chose to turn the story of this ordinary person, this ordinary man, into his, that is God's story. And when you look at it, as a matter of fact, in the beginning, Abraham's story was not Abraham's story, but the story of Terah, his father. Let's look at it. Because when we look at Abraham, we generally jump into chapter 12. But actually, the story starts in chapter 11. And when we read it from 27 to 32, what do we get there? Can you put for me the text on the screen, please? Scripture says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Not Abraham, but it's Terah's family line. So now let's read the rest of it, of this this story. Verse 37, the rest of it. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. What can we learn from this story, at least from this beginning? Before we do so, let's take a moment in prayer. Father, here we are. We've come before you. Come and speak to your people. Give life to your word. Silence any other voice but but yours. 
Humble your servants so that you and you alone may be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what can we learn from this story? First, like other stories in this part of the Bible, it's an ordinary story, a human story that can be summarized by fathering. When you read about this, you, know, you, you can go and take a look at chapter 6, verse 9. Maybe we should do that. Chapter 6, verse 9. This is the account or the story of Noah and his family. And then you go chapter 10, uh, verse 1. Again, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and, uh, and Japheth. Noah's sons who themselves had sons after the flood. And then it goes on. Uh, the son of, or so-and-so father, and so-and-so, and so-and-so father, so-and-so. You have the same thing in chapter 11, our chapter. This is the account, verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family line. And then you go on, so-and-so father. And at the end, it becomes boring. And when we come to this story, there is something unique. As much as it is a story of fathering, here we have a story that is unique in that it's a story that is tragic because it is death-stricken. Death strikes here twice. First, we hear that terror... Abram's father, when he was still in Ur of the Chaldeans, beyond the Euphrates, where they worshipped other gods, his son, Haran, Abram's brother, died. And scripture says, before him, and other versions will tell you, before his eyes. Something tragic happened here. Either it's simply before him, in the sense that a young person dies before the father, and at a time when people live long lives to lose one child as, as young as he was, it's tragic. I often tell the story of my own experience. Our son Ike, who lives now in Calgary, when he was small, very young, we took him to Africa. And he contracted malaria. And uh, it was very, very serious. So we had to rush him from one hospital to another. And as we got off the car to go into the hospital, no ambulance, we're in Africa. So I put him on my shoulders. And I could see the young man draw his last breath. He went into a coma. And as we were going through that experience, honestly, I was feeling inside me as if something was being ripped right inside me. To lose a child is tragic. Where I survive is kicking and screaming in Calgary. But it must have been tragic 
for terror as it would be for any parent who loses a child now. Or it could have been even worse in Terah's case. Because when they say that Haran died before his eyes, it could be that Haran died a tragic death, an accident or something, literally before his father's eyes. And can you imagine that? And what follows? They leave. They leave Ur of the Chaldeans in order, Scripture says, to go to Canaan. But they get into Haran, that's the city now, and they settle there. And while they are still, uh, while they are in Haran, where they settled, death strikes again. This time, it's Terah himself who dies. This story is also tragic in the sense that it's a story where human fathering to secure the future, the family line, is actually failing. Because we are told that Abraham, the surviving son who traveled with his father, or Abraham, Abraham at the time, had no children because Sarai, his wife, could not conceive. And Lot, Abram's nephew, Haran, who died's son, was married and had two daughters. And at the time, he needed a son to carry the family name. So it stops there. Whereas all the chapters that came before as we read, so-and-so father and so-and-so and so-and-so, that's how you carry the line. And here it stops. But we learn one thing. That just as this story is unfolding, where Abraham, 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 or Abraham is only a part of the story, but it's mainly the story of his father, we learn that God was already at work. Indeed, God owns that part of the story. It didn't start in chapter 12. Where do we find that? In Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. God himself says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. It's God who's saying, not I am the God who called you, who brought you from Haran. No, even before that, I, I am the one who called you from there. And later on in Joshua, same, the Lord is speaking here. And he says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, that's Abraham's father, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. And again, it's a nice way of saying, and worshipped idols. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and laid him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. So God is 
owning the story. Yes, it was the story of Terah. It's Terah who decided to live with his son and his grandchild and their spouses. But God is saying, no, it was me. I was behind it. So we can learn here that God is at work in our lives even before we realize it. God is at work in our lives before we know it. God is at, is in our, at work in our lives, in our situation, in our country, in our society, in our families, even when we may not see it. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 to 4. Stephen's testimony, the first Christian martyr, enlightened by the Spirit before his death. He's retelling the story of Israel. And what did he say? Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. God told him, leave your country and your people, and God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. It cannot be clearer. I don't know what you are going through in your own spiritual journey. I don't know what you're experiencing, but I know one thing. God is already present in that situation. That's scripture. But the story does not end there. When God is already present in a situation, when God is already working in your life, before you realize, before you recognize him, there comes a time when God wants a new beginning, where he wants to strike a relationship with you, when he wants to make what is covert, overt, when he wants to make it explicit. And in Abraham's life, it happened in chapter 12. And again, let's read the story. Chapter 12. Let's read first verse 1 to 4. How did he do it? Here, before we read, let's, let us remind ourselves. Again, it's happening after an experience of death. They left the earth of the Chaldeans after Haran's death. Now, God is appearing to Abraham, or Abraham, the name has not been changed yet, after the death of Terah. God, God appears to him. Chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. The Lord had said to Abraham, or Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, here in this very long sentence... 
God is doing many things at the same time. God's word here is an, both an invitation, a blessing, a promise. All at the same time, all at once. God wants to make Abraham's story not just a covert God story, but an explicit God story. And what God is saying, go from your country. And in other, a better translation would have been, go for yourself. It's an order, but at the same time, a promise. Go for yourself. Go for your benefit. Go for your own good. Because whatever God asks us to do, it's always for our benefit. It's always for our good. Go for yourself. From your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Separation. In order you attach yourself to me. And here, God is making promises. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will be a ble- you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. In other, word, in other words, God is telling Abraham, that I am ready to do for you what you could not achieve, humanly speaking. You have no children, and the hope of being a great name is through your children. You have no children, and the hope of being a nation is ridiculous. But I will do for you what God alone can do. It's the same thing for us today. God is telling us in his promise, in his blessing, and in his order, in his invitation, I will do for you what God alone can do. And look here how many times the word bless is used in these verses. He says, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I I will bless those who bless you. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God is in the business of blessing. He wants to bless us. Seriously, he wants to do that. But here's the caveat. In order for God to do that, because now we are in the stage where he wants to make explicit what is covered, he needs a response. He needs obedience. And what do we read in verse 4, the first part? Abraham, or so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Wow. Abraham went as the Lord has told him. So it's not Abraham went as 
his advisors told him. Abraham went as Sarah or Sarai, Sarai at this point had told him. No, he went as God has told or had told him. The only measurement of obedience is not our reputation in the society. It's not our reputation or the good feelings in our family. The only measurement of true obedience to God is God himself. And brothers and sisters, I'm concerned because we have turned Christian faith into too much intellectual, rationalized stuff. But Christian faith is action too. And the first action in Christian faith is the act of obedience. I know I saw some people in my generation, few. But my generation, we grew up reading Francis Schaeffer. He was the spokesperson of the evangelical church at the time. And at one point, Francis Schaeffer comments, uh, a, a, a Danish philosopher, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, who wrote a book. And that book, actually, Soren Kierkegaard is commenting, is making, writing a, a, basically a commentary on Abraham. So in the book, Soren Kierkegaard tells a story of his own childhood upbringing. And he tells us in the book that his father had a habit of taking him when he was younger for a walk every evening. They lived in Copenhagen, and they would take him for a walk. And where they lived, the seashore, the sea line, had a lot of ravines. And one day they were late, so they had to take a shortcut. So they, and as they took a shortcut, they found themselves before a big ravine. And Kierkegaard says that something happened, his father went down. And from down below, it was already dark, he couldn't see his father. But from down below, in the dark, the father yelled at his son, Son, jump! I will catch you. And uh, Kierkegaard said, in fear and trembling, because every fiber in his body said, don't dare, you're going to die. And Francis Schaeffer didn't like the story, because he said, this is the leap into the unknown. But when you read Kierkegaard's story, he said, everything told him not to jump, except the fact that he heard the father's voice. And because it was his father who called him, who called him, who cheered him on, he jumped. And seconds later, he found himself in his father's strong arms. Is it what we need to do again and again and again to jump into God's promises because he has spoken? I mean, we sang it all here. When he says something, he does it. When he starts something, he finishes. Because it's the Father. It's not a leap into the unknown. It's not a leap into some kind of mystical experience. It's the Father who speaks first. 
and we know the voice of the Father, and we obey the voice of the Father, and without any other assurances except the fact that it's the Father, we take the leap. Obedience. Obedience. Abraham obeyed. A journey of faith is a journey of radical obedience. But it doesn't end there either. You would think that Abraham now obeyed. He went as God had told him. Therefore, everything becomes dandy and blessings and prosperity and peace and health. Everything good. Well, not at all. It's only a beginning. And let's take a small, well, a look, partial look at Abraham's rest of the story. Let's just read uh, verse uh, 5 to 8 again. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. They are into the promised land. It's done. Well, it's not done yet. Verse 6. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills uh, east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. What do we see here? So even after Abraham reached the promised land, the land had still yet to be conquered. He traveled all the way, basically to prospect the land, to a prospection of the land. So he went as far north as he could have gone. And when he gets there, what does he do? He arrived at Sheshem, and, and there there was a tree that they called Amore. More is a word that can be translated as oracles. In other words, this is a, a tree where people went to get the oracles or the words of their gods. And scripture is clear. The Canaanites still lived in the land. In other words, it's where the Canaanites went and worshipped their god. That's where, where they went and received words from their gods. And Abraham gets there and see what happens. First, God appears to him there. God appears in unexpected places. God still appears in unexpected places. God still appears in hostile places. He appears there. And what did Abraham do? He built an altar to God. 
conquest. Where others, other gods were being worshipped, Abraham built an altar there to, to mark the fact that from now on, this place belongs to the living God. And he doesn't stop there, as we read in verse 8. He goes to another place called Bethel. Don't forget, this is not the Bethel of Jacob. This is the Bethel of the Canaanites. They are still living in the land. Bethel means house of God. It's another word. He went to a place called house of God, meaning the Canaanite gods. And he pitched his tent there. And he built another altar. And scripture says, he invoked the name of the Lord. He goes into hostile land and builds an altar for, to God. And he invokes the name of God. And it doesn't stop there. You can go again in, in, in chapter 13, the next chapter, verse 18. He's doing the same thing in Hebron. And in Hebron, that's where he, it became his principal dwelling place. That's where even the angels would come. But this is a hostile place too because it is near a tree they called a tree of Mamre. Mamre, again, it's a place where they worshipped other gods. But Abraham built an altar there and he built a tent there and it became his. He takes over hostile places. And he will do the same with Beersheba, which is uh, a desert place. And that's where God appeared to, uh, to Sarah, uh, Sarah's uh, maid, and where God, through a miracle, provided water. And Abraham built another altar, but this time it's a tree. He plants a tree. Very green. And he worships God. So in this desert, God appears. In this desert, God is present. In this desert, God is alive. And the ultimate conquest is Moriah, chapter 22, when Abraham builds an altar in God's command where he wanted to offer even his son. So there is no place that is hostile enough that would not take for God. So, a journey of faith is a journey of obedience, but also a journey of conquest. Every day we need to come, and this has an application that applies first in our own private lives. Every day we need to examine our own lives. Is there an aspect of my life that has not yet come under the lordship of God? And I want to take that place down and build an altar for God. Claim it for God. And it's not just in our private lives, but it's the same also in our families. There are aspects that they have yet to come under the lordship of Christ. We need to build altars in our homes. That's my wandering parenthesis. In the New Testament, when Paul is greeting people, there's a little phrase. I think it's in Romans. He says, greet the, uh, the church 
and we translate it as the church that meets in your home. That's not what the Greek says. It simply says, greet the church that is your home. So that person had turned the house into a church where God reigns, where God is worshipped. And we need to do so also in society. We, can, we cannot retreat from hostile places, but we have to go in faith with boldness and plant the cross in hostile places. Brothers and sisters, a journey of faith is a battle. A journey of faith is a conquest. A journey of faith is a journey of obedience. A journey of faith is not a journey of rest. God is inviting us. He wants to turn our lives into, or our life stories into his story. And to do so, following Abraham's lead, we need to obey. We need to conquer. How do I end this? Well, to summarize, a journey of faith begins even when we may not realize it. A journey of faith is the journey of any ordinary person who is willing to turn his life story into God's story. Or better still, a journey of faith is when God decides to step into one's life story and turn it into his story. God is in the business of turning ordinary human stories into extraordinary God's stories. As I say, the tricky part is that when God steps into our story, he takes over and it requires obedience, not once, but again and again. He also requires that we conquer high high places in our own lives and around us and crown him Lord of Lords, not once, but again and again. This was our father Abraham's story. His was a journey of faith. It can be my story too. And it can be your story too, even today. All it takes is a leap of faith. Not into the unknown, but into the strong arms of the inviting Father. And may God bless us as we take this journey. Amen. 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 Can we thank uh, Dr. Kenzo for that message? If you missed it when Pastor Dom introduced uh, Dr. Kenzo, and if you haven't met him, he is uh, sort of the leader of the, the Alliance Churches in all of Quebec, 
And uh, so that's part of our, our, our family of churches that we're connected to. And so we're just really thankful for Dr. Kenzo's leadership, as well as just his gift of teaching and sharing with us this morning. I was reminded as he was sharing, we had baptism class yesterday with a handful of people who are considering baptism. And as Dr. Kenzo shared about the life of Abraham and how God was already at work before he recognized it, I thought about how one of the really special things about baptism as people are thinking about baptism as they share on the day that they were baptized is that they'll talk about or realize how God was at work in their lives before that they even recognized it. That he was at work in their lives in a time that was maybe painful or a time that they felt really lost. And as they look back, they realize he was, he was faithful even before I knew who God was or even before I realized he was there or even before I thought about what it meant to just turn towards him and to trust him. And I think that's such a, just a special reminder for us as well as we think about what it means to just trust God more, to take those steps of obedience, to surrender different parts of our lives, to know that our story is almost being wrapped up or we see how it fits into God's story of redemption, of healing, of, of calling us into that joy and that peace. So... Thank you, Dr. Kenzel. Uh, with that, I just want to ask you to pray with me. We'll close in prayer, and then we'll go. God, thank you that you are the God who was at work in the very beginning through the life of Abraham, and as we just move to uh, how you're still at work in the church today and in our, in our individual lives. We think about those who may be here for the first time, and a lot of this sounds new, uh, and they're just beginning to just pay attention to how you're drawing them to you. God, we pray that you would just help them to recognize that you are a God who's faithful, that you are a loving Father, and that you are at work in their lives, even the times that they can't feel you or know that you're there. God, help them to just trust and get a sense of how you're at work and calling them closer to you. God, we think about those who even are considering baptism as the next step of obedience and and starting even just a new chapter of following you. God, that you would just uh, continue to just help them see how you have been faithful and how you will continue to be faithful as they step into that. And just for all of us, help us to just uh, understand more and more how our story fits into your story. And what it means to participate with you in that. What it means to trust you as we step into new places, knowing that you've gone before us. What it looks like even to surrender different parts of our lives to you. God, knowing that you can do things that only you can do, that nothing else can do in our lives. And so we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the message. And uh, thank you again that you are the God who goes ahead of us. And so help us to just follow you and be obedient to you in those next steps. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone. Hey, a couple things before you go. Uh, One is we have a prayer space here. Some prayer leaders love just take the time to pray with you. If you have anything you'd like to pray uh, with them for. Uh, As well as next week, we're starting a new series on the book of Ruth calling it A Higher Love, Pain and Redemption Through the Life of Ruth. So uh, if you've never heard of the book of Ruth, we're really excited to go through that with you, learn about themes of redemption, all that kind of thing. So come back next week. We'll start that together. But uh, thanks for being here and just have a great week. See you guys.